Romans chapter 8. As we were reading, this of course was broken into two parts for yesterday and today's readings with it, and I thought that was very good. I like it when I can speak to you out of an area where I know you have been in the Scripture and where you have recently been reading and known what's going on there. Romans chapter 8 is this case here. I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of the freedom of a greater law. The freedom of a greater law. And we're going to read down through verse 18, beginning in verse 1 in Romans chapter 8. You follow along as I read aloud, if you will. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of God or of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the, de- the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I want you to look at this passage, and uh, there's so much in it. As I've gotten into it, I've wanted to give you just parts of it here. I want you to go back to the first part and just look how this chapter begins 
when it talks about the condition of those which are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Notice the phrase that starts out this great chapter. There's therefore now no condemnation. Um, I wrote down a little phrase with that. They're not condemned before God. I like that. Uh, I'm free before God. I'm not condemned. He doesn't find me guilty. He's not looking at me in condemnation. He's not looking at me to destroy me. I'm not condemned. I don't understand all of it because I remember way too many of my wrongs. I have regrets attached to my wrongs. I have the uh, thoughts occasionally if I allow my mind to become undisciplined. What more usefulness might I be to the Lord if I had not allowed wrongs in my life and I kept my mind more close to Him? I uh, have those thoughts like you have those thoughts. And yet, at the same time, there's part of me understands through the Scripture and I try to believe it by faith that I am not condemned before God. That's a great place to be. Knowing that, he's, that He loves me because of, uh, because of His mercy and because of His goodness, that I'm accepted in Christ. That's a great place to be. It really is. And it says, there's therefore now no condemnation. But I'm also not, I need to not be condemned by myself, even as you don't. I'm, there's therefore now no condemnation. Someone may bring up to you your past, but they can never... Uh, they can never attach the past to you as far as guiltiness goes. Some people carry a lot of, a lot of scars, a lot of heavy things going forward. They think how sordid our world is. It always has been, by the way. It's not a new phenomenon. It's just picked up speed somewhat. But uh, talking about prayer requests and here, man, you know, ex-wife being murdered there and that murder goes back as far as the Garden of Eden. Back just after the garden there, and in that early time period, rather, and uh, it's uh, it's always been there. And there are people who will bring up to you things. There are people that when you see them, if you if they're if you're around them, they will uh, maybe bring something up in your mind. Maybe somebody who sees you uh, they say, "Hey, you know, you remember way back when." Sometimes when people want to be critical of you or cause you to stumble, they'll try to bring things up to you. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember. Um, my pastor, Brother Jeff, was uh, known as a pretty edgy and pretty wild fellow, a very rough fellow before he got saved. He was pretty well known in that area, in a rural area, so you know the towns weren't very big. I mean, the county seat of Preble County where I grew up to this day has, I think, under 14,000 in it. And that's the largest town in the county. And so, not exactly a booming metropolis area. And so, you knew about people and knew things. And I still remember, he was back preaching and been preaching for years. And church starting over there at Liberty. And he had been known as a preacher before in town and got to be well known for as a preacher because he's a consistent soul winner, strong preacher, and uh, very involved with things. And every now and then, I've seen the time when we're out together or when I was so winning and somebody said, yeah, I knew you were preaching back in high school and stuff. And they'd give me that look. Like, yeah, I knew him back in. I'd always do the same thing. I didn't know a lot of details. didn't want to know the details. 
But I, I'd say to him, yeah, I understand he was pretty rough. Oh, yeah. I'd say it's amazing what the Lord can do to change somebody. You know, people just don't like to walk down that. If they're trying to criticize, that's not where they want to go. If you have acquaintances or family members, maybe when you have a get-together, I tell you this around holiday times because it happens frequently then, and you got that little one that likes to poke at you or maybe you're trying to move forward in your life and they want to point out your failures, your hypocrisies. First of all, don't go around like acting like you don't have any. Point number one. Point number two is have the confidence in Christ to look at them when they say, yeah, I know how you were. Uh-huh, well, you're acting like that, but I remember. And you just look at them, not in a smart aleck way, just say, I remember too. I tell you how good it is that God's merciful. I'm just telling you, they won't want to hang around and pester you a long time if you talk that way. You start defending yourself, it gets rough. But you just, you know, decide you're going to own that thing. And yes, that was. Hey, if you did have a bad reputation, remember you gave it to you. It's like I tell people sometimes, they usually don't like the advice. Somebody comes along and says, well, nobody around the church trusts me. And I'm like, remember you earned that. Right? You earned that one. So, earn the other. I know, people are kind of standoffish. Well, you've burnt everybody who's gotten near you, so don't be surprised. I mean, even the cat learns not to jump on a hot stove twice. <laughs> and so let's go on down. There's no condemnation. You're going to have to not say that you've assigned that to yourself, but you're going to have to realize if indeed your faith is in Christ. If you've gotten to understand in your mind that it's His righteousness and not yours, you can know the freedom and strength of knowing there's no condemnation. And then it goes down that next statement, and here's where the message, the title comes in, the freedom of a greater law. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Let me make a statement to you here. Lawlessness can never set you free. But a higher law does. Lawlessness, no law, no boundary, no rules. So that's freedom. Uh-uh. That's called being lost. Societally, that leads to anarchy. So I wouldn't mind anarchy. You will when somebody just a little stronger than you comes along and puts a whoop on you and takes everything you have. Amen. It's like my friend Mike that came over and did the thing for the kids at school with the, the 1700s. He said he was driving through Yellow Springs, Ohio, which has become an enclave. And it's terrible because it's a beautiful area, an enclave of all sorts of perversion. And he said there was this big group of... Uh, big group of uh, the Black Lives Matters and the different groups and the defund the police group was in there and all these mixed in, that consortium of wickedness come together. So he's not here against black people. I think, I think Black Lives Matter is one of the most, uh, uh, one of the most uh, degrading things that could have ever happened to black people. I'd be upset, man. If there was a group called White Lives Matters that did what those people did, I'd be angry at them. Why is it some people who say nobody should be a racist always make color the issue? 
If race really isn't the issue, then get over and just treat people like they're people. Now there's a good idea. Red and yellow, black and white. Get their skin color out of your side. <laughs> Give me a bullhorn. I'll start my own movement. Uh, but he said that with some people carrying the defund the police and all that, and they were going right down the street that went through Yellow Springs. He said he got so angry, and he said, uh, bunch of them down there, and he said they had police before them and behind them keeping them safe from traffic. Man, you want to wave a defund the police thing? You get out there and let old Ronnie Redneck run over you make part of his transfer case. You're on your own. <laughs> Amen. That's how I think he handled that thing. But anyway, lawlessness does not ever lead to freedom. A higher law does. See, I was under bondage to sin. The law of sin and death. Sin would take its toll. I would die from that. It would kill me. Not just my physical body dies, but I would die. And a higher law came. The law of Jesus Christ. And that higher law set me free from the lower law. Thank God. You know what? When, they, uh, when you do an appellate situation, when you do an appeal in our court system, you don't appeal to a lower court. You may have something sent back to a lower court by a higher court, but you don't appeal to a, high, a lower court. You appeal to what type of a court? A higher court. Freedom always comes in a higher law setting us free. See, if you don't want to be under many bondages that come that are associated with selfishness and the self-centered living, which shows up in so many ways and is the foundational destruction of marriages and families like the plague... It's like a plague on them. If you don't want to be bound by that, then you come live in, in a higher law called selflessness. Charity. Giving. Being good. That sort of thing. And then, verse 3, it says, for what the law could not do. Now, it's talking about the law of God. Isn't that a funny phrase about, about the law of God? For the, what the law could not do. Do you know the law of God couldn't do some things? Isn't that amazing? It's God's law. You'd almost think on the surface but it could do anything. But look at the next little phrase, and this is key. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak. How in the world was the law of God weak? For what the law could not do, in that it was weak. <laughs> I've never quite seen that technique used before, Rachel. That was funny. She's helping Andrew stay conscious, but I don't know what she just did. I'm not sure if she tweaked his nose or pulled his lip or what she did over there. That's kind of funny. Uh, seems to work for a moment, so keep it up. Um, what the law could not do in that it was weak, and look at the next phrase, through the, fr through the flesh. Now what's that talking about? The law, keeping of God's commandment, has a weakness to it. And it isn't the nature of the law itself. It's certainly not the one who gave the law. Brother Keith, you couldn't find a better law than God's law. You certainly couldn't find an author of law better than that. But where does it come into weakness? It comes into weakness that by the nature of law, in order for it to, to have the proper effect for people, it has to be kept. It has to be kept. 
anybody ever seen those lines that are put on the road? Those center lines? When that line on your side, your lane, is a solid yellow line, what's that telling? What's, what's it telling? They're not paths, right? And uh, you, can, uh, you can be fined if you're caught passing in that area, correct? Has anybody ever seen a near accident or had been involved in a near accident because someone was coming around one of those? There are places that worries me sometimes. I had somebody running up on me trying to, I think they were just really fascinated with my license plate and were trying to see it as close as possible. We were going along sections of 22 and I looked back and it was a license plate indicated they were a foreigner. They weren't from Ohio. And uh, they, they were, I didn't recognize them. I looked back in and, and uh, I'm going along and they kept coming up and I thought, Jehu's going to go whipping around me on one of these places because they were edging around even where those lines were like that. Now, I'm glad they didn't. In one place, I just thought they were going to jump around me and uh, I was watching trying to figure out what to do because, you know, you're coming in 22 from over in our area over towards Circleville. There's a lot of areas Car, a couple cars can be right down one of those little dips. You can't see them at all. And it looks like you can see the next quarter mile or so, but you can't. They're down in there. And sure enough, this fellow kind of edged and then came back in, decided not to. And right then, boy, somebody appeared and you could see him. And his car was as low set as mine, so it wasn't like he was in a truck or something where he could see down in there. I thought, boy, I'm glad you didn't go around there. That'd been bad. Well, you know, if you will, that line being put on the road's the law. That's the law. That being there, and everybody's you know taking their driver's license exam knows you're not supposed to pass unless you know. But will that line keep people back? What is it dependent on? It's dependent on people obeying that line. I wonder how many people have been injured or killed in a car wreck where someone has passed in a no passing zone, coming up at an intersection or in a place where they couldn't see and they thought they could see and it was a no passing zone, so they ignored the law and they went out there. Now, was it the law's fault? Or had everything been done that could reasonably be done to keep them safe? But they decided to flout that, didn't they? They went on ahead and somebody's injured or killed. See, what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God gave perfect law. If we actually obeyed the law of God, there wouldn't be any thefts, there wouldn't be any murders, there wouldn't be any mistreating of one another. The problem and the weakness comes in the flesh. Look what God did with this. And then, so understanding that, the rest is very simple. Verse 3 again, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now watch this. He became a man. In fact, another place said He was made under the law. He took Himself all, under all those things. God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin, where? In the flesh. Are you with me there in verse uh, 3? Where did He condemn sin? In the flesh. Now notice verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Correct? We find that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. How did He condemn it? How did He condemn sin? One, He overcame it by not sinning while He was in the flesh. 
I remind you of the verse you know. He was in all points tempted like as we are. Yet, boy, what an important word. Yet, without what? Sin. My goodness, how powerful that is. So he condemned sin in the flesh in that he did not commit sin in the flesh. But we also understand at the end of Romans 6, which we just recently read, for the wages of sin is what? Death. And Christ tasted, this is Bible, death for every man. So he condemned sin and then he lived sinlessly in the flesh. And then died as if he were the worst of sinners in the flesh. He went to that place appointed as death victory area, the grave, and he couldn't be kept there either. They came up with victory over that. Boy, when we sing this tonight, as we sang the first song, Victory in Jesus, you're singing a mouthful with that. What the law could not do. Oh, my friend. Oh, my goodness. There's people who honestly believe on Christ as their Savior. And if you pin them right down to it uh, and say, are you good enough to save yourself? As a saved person, they know better and they'll tell you, no, I'm not. Well, how is it that you're saved? Because of what Christ did for me. And yet, they want to attach to it. Yet, they want to put on to it. Yeah, but i got to do my part to keep it. i got to do my part to make it. i got to do my part to do it. No, you don't. You get to do your part to serve and honor your God. But your works and my works are just as ineffectual for the righteousness of God after we're saved as they were before. Oh, what a difference it is to know that we're not condemned before the Lord. It's an incredible thing, really. And sin condemned in the flesh. How about this passage that goes with this? 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's look at that together. I was going to just quote it or read out to you, but let's look at it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Talking about Jesus condemning sin in the flesh. I wanted to show you this one. 1 Peter chapter 2. Begin in verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Guile is deceit, trickery, and treachery. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes, that's talking about his back and such being furrowed open, ripped open by the whip. By whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd 
and bishop of your souls. And so we find in Romans chapter 8 a, the freedom of a greater law that Jesus defeated the law of sin and death. And He didn't do it by skipping death. <laughs> I heard a guy tangle something up today. It was funny. He was trying to make a point about something and he got his Bible confused on things. And uh, he... Be careful if you've been over one of these on... And he... <laughs> See, my joints are getting kind of crunchy there. I got to take some, take some kind of supplement there. This thing rubs against things. It makes all kinds of weird noises. Um, but the, uh, he was talking and he said something about people, you know, that um, we had to face death and uh, this or that. And he said, oh, so only two people in history haven't died. And he said, Jesus and Methuselah. And I thought, well... <laughs> I think you missed those two. Uh, maybe Enoch and Elijah? That would work. But Jesus did die. He didn't just swoon. I remember being in a liberal Bible college class and the learned professor. <laughs> Him saying, I'm of the opinion, but we cannot be too dogmatic in that I am of the opinion that Jesus actually died and, and that. But uh, there are some who feel and some learned men to whom we should give respect. Uh, he said that feel that perhaps he just went into a deep swoon and was later revived. Well, ain't that something? <laughs> I guess a deep swoon's worse than a shallow swoon. But uh, Christ tasted death. And here's the thing about it. He went into it and he beat it. That's something we can't do. That's something he already did. That's something, that's something we can't do. That's something he already did. No condemnation. We're set free by a higher law. I said to you that uh, we're not condemned before God. We need to not be condemned by ourselves. I said to you lawlessness can't set us free. A higher law sets us free. I showed you in the Scripture here. Jesus bore our, our freedom and our sin in His own body. Let's go on down and I'll show you another thing with this and look in verse, nine, or verse 10 rather. Well, look in verse 8 rather. Let me show you that. I almost skipped over it. It had just talked about the carnal mind. That's the fleshly mind. The mind that's just centered on things of the temporary, the fleshly. No thought of God. No thought of anything eternal. And it says it's enmity against God. It's at odds. It's, a, it's an enemy of God. It, it's fighting against God. Why? Because it's not subject to the law of God. It can't be because of, because of its condition. And then verse 8, it says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You understand the context if you're reading this chapter and you're getting that phrase in the flesh is not just talking to somebody who's living in this body. It goes in this context, and you can see it very well the way it's written. It's talking about living in the flesh in association with the carnal mind, this sort of thing. Where we're living in the flesh, in other words, this is all we're taking care for. We don't care about our Creator. We don't care about God's thoughts. We don't care about what God wants in our life. We're just doing it for us and now. In my uh, generation as a teenager, it was this little slogan which was on... Uh, it was on bumper stickers and t-shirts and people's lips and it says if it feels good do it and that was hedonism and uh, that was that was the cry of a generation if it feels good do it and it's not talking about us just living in this flesh being in this vessel but it is talking about 
uh, this type of being in the flesh. And so verse 8, it says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not possible for them to. It cannot please God. If our life is so centered on that and that's what takes up our life. I thought about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, going along with this. Because it's all about this where it talks about this a couple times in the Bible about being impossible to please God. I don't ever want to be in a situation where I cannot please God. I just don't want to do that. I don't want my mind to be in a, in, a, in a place where I cannot please God. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them which diligently seek him. And so when I look at this thing, I see that uh, the Lord has given us a, a greater law through faith and through uh, belief in who Christ is. We live according to a higher law. There's more to our life than just what those who are living for right now. Go on. All right, I'll give you an idea. Right now, there's a couple, three of them crashed out in, in the auditorium. Right? It's kind of funny. I'm looking, and it looks like someone just went, wah, 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 and took out that rope. We do that. You're not gonna wake up kids once they're that far away. Man, Hudson's gonna need a. Is that Dan? Is that Hudson? Uh, oh, there you are, Dan. Uh, Hudson's gonna need a chiropractor. I don't even know how you can do that. I'm just. I'm not worried about him hearing me right now. I'm just afraid he's gonna injure himself. All right. Something else you're about to eat, done. She went behind you when she sat down and hasn't come out yet. I think you sat there long enough. May have to. Man, she. A little chick is out for sure. And do that. And everybody a little bit older is awake now, hoping I don't come to them. But let me make an illustration here, if I can, with these these little ones. I get kicked out. I get kind of tickled watching them when they go out like that. It's kind of funny. Um, but let me make an illustration with that. In just a couple moments ago, a couple of you men were out too. And uh, here's what happens. Truth's being given. Now, just stay with me a second. My point isn't to rebuke you on this. If I need to do that later, I want you to be awake when I do that. Um, but if, if you are out and these youngers are out right now, okay? They take, they take Hudson here. Hudson's probably not going to be able to give me a really a rundown of what I was preaching about tonight. I'm not thinking he's going to be making any life-changing decisions there, right? As adults, let's say, uh, let's say we did fall asleep. The preaching's going up. Truth is coming out. The Bible's being opened. There are people who are getting things right now that are going to be very helpful to them and maybe it's something, put something into perspective for them. But those who are asleep can't be helped by it. Doesn't mean that they don't like the church. Doesn't mean they don't like their pastor. Doesn't mean they don't really love God or they'd stay awake. Hey, look, man. I, <laughs> you know, I really love my wife and I have fallen asleep when she's talking to me before. May I point out that's an error, gentlemen? <laughs> do whatever you need to not to do that. Just That's advice you need to heed. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that they don't care. But here's what I'm saying to you. If they're asleep during that time, then they can't get what they need. Now they may get what they need later, and it's one message. 
It doesn't destroy their chances for life, although they may miss something vital that they did need at that point. I would believe that. But what if we are asleep towards God in general? I'm talking about not saying, setting yourself against God and saying, I'm not going to do whatever you say. But what if we're just dull towards Him? We miss what He's trying to do in their life. There's no freedom when you miss what He wants you to do. He's trying to help you with a higher law. He's trying to help you. He's speaking to you in a lot of different ways. Not just when you're reading the Bible yourself. Not just when your pastor's preaching to you. Not just when you're being taught. But God is trying to speak to you. Let's work on hearing. Hearing what He wants to do. Let's invite Him in. Part of it, you give, learn to give thanks in little things. I honestly believe it is a serious spiritual mistake and neglect to sit down like unknowing animals and just dive into your food without thanking God. If we would follow the example of our Savior, He always gave thanks. If we would read the direct admonitions of the Scripture, whatsoever we do in order to be, was to do all to the glory of God. We read the exact teachings of Scripture. Everything it's talking about meats, it's talking about food, is to be received with Thanksgiving. Not on Thanksgiving, with Thanksgiving. Why? Because it makes us stop at the most basic time of our life and acknowledge where things came from. And acknowledge our God. Sunday I preached to you on basic Christianity. The basics are often neglected and they're vital. By the way, I have seen in my pastor a lot of years of dealing with people. I've seen over and over again this statement expressed by ladies. I just wish my husband prayed with me. And she'd just reach across the table and take me by the hand. Boy, praise him. Well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's because you don't do it. You'll become comfortable, become part of your life. Gentlemen, we need to learn to do some things we're not comfortable with to take the proper Christian headship of our family. Since when has following God got to do with us being comfortable with everything? It's amazing, and many people of good character sort of despise that in people. And well, they only do what's comfortable. They go to work if they feel like it. They take care of their family if they feel like it. And they pay their bills if they feel like it, but they don't, you don't transfer that over into your Christian life and say, well, I'll do the things of God if I feel like it. You say, well, that's not naturally me. That should be supernaturally you, the new you. God wants you to go forward in these things. Let's face this out. If you look there back in Romans chapter 8 again, it goes through these things and in verse 10 it talks about, and if Christ be in you, okay, there it is again, if Christ be in you, the body's dead because of sin. You understand you're living and breathing, but it no longer is supposed to be in charge. It's no longer supposed to rule things. But the Spirit is life. Why? Because of righteousness. And then verse 11 talks about quickening your mortal bodies. 
And I love verse 12. Look at that. Brethren, we are debtors. We owe something. Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. We don't owe it that. To follow it. If we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if you through the Spirit, the Spirit of God there, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. In other words, you don't make decisions just based on your appetites, but you make it based on what you know and, and, and understand is best from the Lord. Um, I like verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. i put a little side note on there. See that word led in verse 14? Sometime back when I was reading through there, I wrote this note. Not driven as beast, but led as rational, intelligent creatures. At some point when I was reading through that passage, I don't know how long ago, I just I saw it when I came through again, and that's why I like to make little side notes in my Bible. It reminds me of something the Lord showed me when I come through that area before. Not driven as beast, but led as rational, intelligent creatures. That's important to me. My God is... Isn't it amazing how our Creator is respectful to us as His creation? And, and the whole way He approaches us and why He does. There's a lot we can learn with that. You see that word Abba at the end of verse 15? That, that stresses the affectionate relationship of the adoption. And then, look if you will, one other thing I wanted to show you. Look in verse 16. The Spirit itself, the Spirit itself, that's the Holy Spirit of God, Beareth witness. What does it bear witness with? Our spirit. Are you with me? The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. Now, remember learning about this higher law that sets you free. You have law of sin and death. You have the law of the flesh, and or the law of God rather that's weak through the flesh. There's a higher law, life in Jesus Christ, that sets us free. So it comes here and it talks about this. And when it makes a statement, it says, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. You understand, you have a spirit. There's the Holy Spirit of God, and you have a spirit. I have a spirit. I also, the Holy Spirit of God, interacts with my spirit. And that's what this is talking about. Several different things with that. I want to show you, look in Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20, and then the other two I want to show you are right together. Look in Proverbs chapter 20. Some of the great word pictures in the Bible. Look in Proverbs 20. I know this isn't shouting it out type preaching, although it certainly will build you. And I know, youngins that are in chapel, this isn't me preaching through the songbook either. We had a lot of fun with that. And to be in chapel Tuesday to fully appreciate it. Proverbs chapter 20. Where young fellows tried, tried a hand at it and did a pretty fair job at it. Did a good job. I thought he did a good job. He went to try to preach like the preacher did with that. I said, do 10 pages. And he went about 15. I said, he may be called. He didn't know when to stop. Amen. Um, <laughs> Proverbs 20. Good sign of being called. You just keep cranking it. Proverbs 20 verse 27. The spirit of man, and you understand, deals with mankind. But the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. How much light does a candle give? None. 
candle by itself gives you zero light. What do you have to do to a candle to get light? You have to light it. Correct? Huh. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It is that within you that He wants to illuminate with His Spirit. You have the vessel that He wants to interact with and give you life. The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. You say, what's that about? Once that candle is lit by the Spirit, then it searches you out, teaches you things, shows you things. I don't know, one lady's name is here. Worked with a girl's home or something in New York and then worked with missions for years. You know who that had been? Describe her, but she may, I met her on Saturday. But we got talking. She was out looking at what we had out for missionaries in our list of missionaries. Man, her heart was lit up by that. She's talking about involvement and helping missions and that. And that was it. Why? That was what was inside her. She saw that. That was she came here. That's she was gravitated that. What do they do? What are they involved with? She was I saw her looking at the mission board. It was like, what do they do? Who's doing what here? Why that was inside her. But we got talking and she talked about how many years and we just got talking about general things about the Lord. And she was talking about some things that the Lord had taught her. Had that conversation with several people. What God was showing them, what God had taught them, how God had brought them along in this part of life or the other. How's that happen? Because the Spirit of the Lord, or the Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord and God wants to light it. He wants to light it and, and uh, put it inside you to do some good. Finish out, look over in 1 John right near the end of your Bible. Head over towards Revelation and drop in at 1 John. Talking about the freedom of a greater law. The greater law interacts with you. The freedom of the Spirit of Christ is not a spirit that moves us to excesses and fleshly indulgences, but it's a spirit of freedom that comes with following God and, and uh, not having to suffer the consequences of wrong and bad decisions, but rather the freedom of being able to follow Him closely. First John chapter 3, it's the first place I want to show you, talks about the spirit of man and talks about God working in our, in our life there. Um, verse 17, I'm reading to you. And I'm, I'm in Romans. I want you over there in First John. I'm going to join you in verse 17. It says in verse 16, I'll go into 17. It says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are, present tense, the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. And uh, what is this? Uh, look, look in 1 John 3 and uh, uh, verse 2 right there. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now, present tense, now are we the sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're not fully developed yet. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. 
We shall see Him as He is. And then it goes on to say that every man has his hope, purifieth himself as he is pure. 1 John chapter 5. Knowing God and knowing you belong to God helps you live purely. I could take you to the spot in the parking lot in front of the Northside Chapel First Church of God in Camden, Ohio. I won't call the name out, but I remember distinctly a fellow was talking to the men in, in the church. and he, he, was a, he was a good man, good solid man. But he was talking about and worrying over the doctrine of once saved, always saved. That had him greatly worried for some reason at that point. I don't know why it had particularly annoyed him that day, but it had. And uh, that's why they'd always say, once saved, always saved. You never heard them say eternal life. It's funny, they use a phrase that's not a Bible phrase to, to fight against it, but you never heard them say, oh, it bothers me to be talking about eternal life. <laughs> it bothers me to be talking about everlasting life. I mean, it's hard to, just get, it's hard to get fussy over that. But I still remember, we were walking to our cars and I was just listening, older men were talking. By the way, it's a good idea when you're younger to listen when the older men are talking. And uh, that'd be a nice thing. But uh, he, uh, he said, I'll tell you what. He goes, if people really believed they were saved forever, what would there be to make them live right? I still remember that phrase. Still remember. Could take you right there. It's very distinct in my memory. And I was a young, fuzzy-headed guy. Didn't know much doctrine yet, for sure. And all I remember thinking, he said that, and I didn't interject anything. I, all I thought, I kind of got that wrinkled up look, and I'm like, something about that doesn't make sense. Well, after sober reflection and many years of Bible study, let me tell you something. Everything about that doesn't make sense. I would hope and I believe that your love for your Lord is a lot stronger than if you really believe you're saved, then why would you do right? Or I believe you, you want to do right. But you'd like to grow. But you want to go forward with your life. But you get upset at you when you do what you know isn't right. And when you fall below the standard, you know that it ought to be there in your life. So I believe... The vast majority of the people I talk to in any given service are people who actually want to do something for God. Say, oh, we're flawed. I'm the preacher. You got to tell me, right? No. Okay, I get that. And I am too. But I just really believe. I'm not trying to make you feel better about yourself. You know me in bad time. That's not on my agenda is to make you feel better about yourself. I'm just telling you the truth. Why? Because I see you struggle sometimes. I see you make some bad decisions sometimes. I see you get out and out willful and out of the way and do things that are wrong sometimes. Just what I know about. But I keep seeing the glimmer and the light of Christ in you. That there's something in you that draws you back to the Lord. That there's something in you that makes you want to learn the Word of God. And you're happy when I... Leave the rabbits in the bushes and just get the Bible to you straight. And you rejoice in God. And I see something in you. That's born of God. We're not what we're going to be yet. One day we'll see Him. And because we have that hope, 
We seek to purify ourselves and live more for Him. It's called a love relationship. And every step you take in that, the Lord will help you with. That's enough for tonight. Let me pray with you. Father, thank You for Your people. Thank You for Your Word. Pray that You'll help us to be a people pleasing to You in our day-by-day walk. And Lord, help us to be a people loving towards others who really do want to live like Christians in our homes and in our private thoughts and in our actions day by day. Bless your people and help them in the areas where they desire you. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together, please. We have a song invitation. You want to seek the Lord on tonight, why don't you come ahead?